We're in the last book of the Bible, if you'll turn please to chapter 2, and then turn with me for our text in John 21, please. Revelation chapter 2, and then John 21. Revelation chapter 2, the first seven verses, our Lord is speaking to one of the seven churches. And he says this to our hearts from his word unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Wonderful things he said about the church at Ephesus. And then he has this to say to him in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I'll come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Verse number four, please. We'll just uh, call that to our attention again. Our Lord said to this church, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Keep that in mind, please. John 21, the same author that gave us those verses. He gives us his gospel. The very last chapter. I have two books on my shelves that the men entitled the books, Great Chapters from the Word of God. Both of them include this chapter. John 21. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. On this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. I've underscored that statement in my Bible. That night they caught nothing. Now these are, for the most part, they've made a living in days past in those waters. They know how to fish, where to fish. They know all about it. They're experts. But that night... They caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. I've circled the word no, and down in verse number 6, I've circled the two words, and now. And I've drawn a line between them. 
immediately after their admission of failure. And now, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith to Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself in the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid their own in bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, hundred and fifty and three, and for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. Now the disciples darest ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he's risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith to him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Lovest thou me? He said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, Thou girdest thyself, and walkest whether thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and others shall gird thee, and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Also many other things which Jesus did, the which... If they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I call our attention tonight to verses 15 through 22. Verses 15 through 22. Let's bow please for just a moment of prayer. We're grateful for His presence. We've sensed His presence in the very refreshing way tonight in the music. All of it's been a blessing. And we bless Him for honoring us tonight with a sense of His presence. And you join with us again. We'll appreciate it if you'll just join with us in prayer. Lord, I'm listening. Lord, I'm open. Would you give Him permission to say what He wants to say to your heart tonight? Our Father... We've already acknowledged thy presence in this place and power tonight. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Lord, it's so empty and it's so dry and dull when the Spirit of God is not at work. And Lord, it's in vain. It's a waste of time when we meet and 
there's a hindrance. There's something that keeps you from working in our midst. And so, our Father, tonight we pray Thee in the name that's above every name, that worthy name, that You'll be pleased now to come as only You can and take control. Grip our hearts. Give us tonight a sense of the presence of God in such a way that we'll just know that you're here in power. Open our hearts. We read in the Bible where you opened the heart of Lydia. So we ask you tonight to open our hearts to receive. Give us faith tonight to trust thee. Help us tonight to receive what you have for us. And we'll bless you and praise you for you're worthy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to think with me tonight on the subject, requirements for usefulness. What is it the Lord requires from our lives before He'll ever take us and put us into His service and use us for His glory? Simon Peter had already been restored to fellowship with the Lord prior to this meeting. But here we have the record of where our Lord is restoring Simon Peter to his service, putting him back to work, giving him a job to do again. So I entitled the message, I repeat, Requirements for Usefulness. I was speaking in a church near Cincinnati on a Saturday evening, been a while back. When I come and read this, as I did today, I remember this incident. Let me just briefly share with you. I'd been asked to speak in this special service. It was a dedication of a building. Preacher had been saved, called to preach under my ministry. And he'd called to see if I could work a schedule and be with him in that special service. And I'd said to him, I'm on my way to Knoxville, Tennessee area, and uh, I need to be there on the Lord's Day morning. And I said, if the, I could be in the service on Saturday evening, if you could let me just speak and then leave because he said he had a lengthy service that evening. He had a number of things they would be doing. And so he said, Brother Hurt, I'll, I'll get you on the program immediately after we start. You bring the message and we'll save some of the other things to later. I'll tell the folks you need to leave. And so as soon as you finish your message, you're, you'll be free to leave to drive on from Cincinnati area to Knoxville, Tennessee area. And uh, so I preached and mentioned that I would need to leave immediately. And on my way out, there was an usher back there. He said, Brother Hurt, there's a, a man waiting for you in the parking lot. He said he mentioned uh, he was a friend of yours and just wanted to, me to mention to you on your way out that he needed to just have a word or two with you. He's aware that you need to be leaving, so he'll just walk you to the car. So when we, I got outside, of course, I recognized him. I've been knowing him over 20 years. I didn't know he's in the service. Some of you don't know this. When I take my glasses off, I can see how to read a little, but I can't see out there with my, without my glasses. So I can't tell whether you're smiling or frowning. And I have been some places it helps. Amen. But uh, I'm not implying anything here because I haven't seen anyone frown at me around here. But uh, I read my text and I have it, I guess, just take my glasses off. And so he was in that service and I wasn't aware of his presence. So when I walked out, he spoke to me, and I said, uh, good to see you. He said, I heard you were speaking here tonight. He had driven a distance to come to that meeting. And he said, Brother Hurt, here's what I want to talk to you about. He said, I feel that God led me to come tell you this. He said, when I made an appointment and came to your place to speak to you, 
some months back. This was back when I first had first left the pastorate. I went back on the road full time. And he was making reference to a meeting we had together. And he said, when I ask you if you thought God could use me in His service again, he said, when you said to me, if you will meet His requirements, God will use you. He said, I, in the fear of God, committed myself in your study that day to follow those suggestions that you gave me out of John 21. And he said, I just wanted to tell you, and he had a note of appreciation you could sense in his voice, and he was not cocky about it, and he said, it humbles me, but he said, God is letting me serve him again. Now, he'd been on the sideline. I'd preach meetings for him in two different states. Uh, in the years past, three different states, I guess. At one time in our home state, and then in a couple states in the south, and hadn't seen him for over ten years. Came to our church one Sunday evening, the choir director was seated beside of me while a brother was singing a special for us before I spoke, and the choir director said, if I'm not mistaken, right next to the back row, he named a person. He said, I haven't seen him in 15 years, but he said, I'm sure that's him, Brother Hurt. And so I slipped my glasses on. I can see all the way to back when I got my glasses on. And uh, he, he is trying to stay hid, but he, he, we made eye contact. He saw me looking at him, and, and he, I said, that's him, sure as the world. And I hadn't seen him in ten years. Well, I preached, and he said he needed to get back over to Annapolis. No fellowship, just spoke to me, and uh, not open at all. I asked him to come back. He was back in a couple of weeks. Made an appointment and came to see me. Here's what I want you to see tonight. He'd been completely out of the ministry, wasn't serving God. He's a man that God had wonderfully used. He's gifted. He's talented. More than that, at one time he had a walk with God. He knew how to get in touch with God, had the power of God on him. Tremendous singer, great preacher, Bible student, soul winner. Just a, a fellow that just God was using. And in his sharing with me, he said, out of disappointment that led to discouragement, and discouragement led to defeat, he said, I slipped out of the ministry and got me a job and thinking in a few months, maybe God let me come back. And over ten years, hadn't pastored, he hadn't preached, hadn't been in church much. He sat there in my study and with brokenness in his voice, he said to me, Brother Hurt, I'm aware of what I'm saying. God hears me. I'd rather die than stay in the condition I'm in. And then his question was this, do you think God would ever use me again? You think God would let me serve Him again? And ask if, he, if I thought God would let Him pastor again or preach revivals again. He just simply said, do you think God will let me serve Him? Do you think God would use me again? I have written in this Bible, it was a different Bible that I had before me then, but I transferred the statement to here. I just simply says, cross the top of the page, requirements for usefulness. What is it the Lord required of Simon Peter before he thrust him back into his service? Before he ever put him back uh, really as his leader? Stood up just a couple pages from this chapter and, and spoke with the power of God on him and 3,000 souls come to Christ. Goes down there and opens the door to the Gentiles. Later will pen two books of the New Testament. But you see, our Lord made, I think, three 
basic requirements of this man before he put him back in his service. Now, what is it tonight he requires basically of you and me before he uses? I believe at least these three. Verses 15, 16, and 17 is the first requirement. Verse 18 and 19 is the second requirement. And then the third one you'll find in verse number 22. Just as simple as they can be, but something God's used to help me. He said to me, and, and I repeat as we walked to the car across that parking lot over there, he said with emotion even in his voice, he said, Brother Hurd, it's, he said, I can hardly believe it. God is using me in his service again. That's been a while back now, three, nearly four years ago. I was in an area and someone mentioned the revival. I said, who's preaching the revival? And he mentioned the name and it was this person and that person didn't even, the telling me didn't know I knew that brother. I said, have you heard him? He said, I was down there Monday night to hear him. This was on Wednesday night. I said, just, just in a statement, just tell me something about his preaching. Because I, I know this man. I know what he's going to say. He knows God and he knows when, when God's hand is on someone. He said, Brother Hurd, I tell you, that man's a real blessing. He said he preached with real power. And he said, I said to my wife on the way home, that's a broken man. God has broken that man and said, when he speaks, you hear God through him. I said, did he sing? Oh, yes, and he sang too. He said he can sing like a bird. <laughs> I don't know what kind of bird he had. Mine, I've heard different birds. <laughs> but I understood he was saying, oh, he's a blessing. I wouldn't, I didn't mention that. I, if you'd asked me, some of you'd recognize the name tonight, but you maybe didn't know that he was sidetracked those years. A lot of people, even in our area where he, where he grew up, they didn't know that. So I wouldn't even mention his name if you asked me because I don't have permission to do that. I don't go one place to another and, and then tell something out of school on someone. Uh, Dr. Tozer helped me 25 years ago. He said, if you want God to help you, Dr. Tozer, I was influenced by him. I was in a group that he was in a group with, my early ministry. And A.W. Tozer used to say to some of us preachers, he said, listen, don't you pass along anything about another that's going to hurt that person. Because if you do... Who shall ascend in the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Among other things is one that doesn't take up a reproach against his neighbor. And I know when I get around a moment, a person from the first moment I'm around them, they pick up something negative and a reproach about somebody else and pass it along and slander that person. I know that that person is not standing in the presence of God because God says, you can't get in my holy hill and stand in my presence if you take up a reproach against your neighbor. Dr. Tozer used to say to us preachers, don't, uh, don't go around picking up stories and passing along things that's going to be hurtful and negative. He said, that'll displease God. Well, this, this brother said to me, Brother Hurd, in the fear of God, in your study, when I said that day to God on my knees, Lord, I'd rather die than go on like I'm going. And said, when I committed to you, to you, God helping me, I'll try to meet those three requirements. He said, Brother Hurt, I respect you and I love you and he's kind to me. He said, the best of my ability, I've been trying to put those requirements into practice. And I just wanted to tell you, they work. Well, tonight, you want God to take a hold of your life and speak to you and through you and use you, maybe to reach one of your loved ones or reach a neighbor or you be that, uh, you be that instrument that God can take and use tonight. 
I believe these are basic and essential. The first one, I see the Lord Jesus and Simon as they begin to take a little walk after breakfast is served, after they've brought that boatload of fish out, and and uh, there's 153 great fish here, the text tells us. And then after they've dined, I see the Lord Jesus and Simon. They get up and they begin to walk along the seashore. And the Lord Jesus has a question for him. Fact of the matter, he puts it to him three times. Now keep in mind, here's his lead man. When the apostles are mentioned, he's mentioned first. He's the spokesman for them. And yet the Lord's lead man, he has so fumbled the ball, he's so goofed up, he's gone to the point that he said he was so intimidated by a servant girl and said, I don't even know him. Now that's serious business. That's his lead man. And here the Lord is going to re-restore him and reinstate him into, into service. And he says, I've got a question for you, Simon. I wonder what you'd ask him. I was looking this over and reading this in the motel room the other morning, and I've never heard the, the Lord audibly. I do not claim that, but I do know when he's speaking to my needy heart, and he seemed to say to me, had you been in my place, what would you have asked Simon? wonder what you'd ask him before you used him again. Before you put him back in service, maybe you'd have said, now Simon, i got a question for you. Are you sorry that you failed me? You promised never do that again? Oh, you could ask him a lot of questions. He didn't ask him any of those. I see him, I repeat, as they start walking along. And he comes, and and this is so basic and so essential, because I can show you many scriptures without this ingredient here in our life. We're just tinkling cymbal and sound and brass. We're just noise makers, and there's no demand for noise tonight. I mean, there's no, no one wants, that's not useful. And he says we can have everything else and not have this one ingredient that he, that he asked Simon about first. He said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I see him, I repeat, walking along. I said that somewhere not long ago, preaching the brother after service. He said, my brother heard I'm in a good mood. I'm not arguing, I'm not in an argumentative mood tonight, but he said, you either see something in the scripture I don't see, or you're reading something into it one or the other. <laughs> Well, I, that got my attention. He said that. And I said, well, uh, you know, if I uh, stand to be corrected, I said, I, I won't be ugly to you. I said, I need all the help I can get. Well, he said, there's nowhere in that scripture said, you read the whole chapter and I went over it with you. There's nowhere in that scripture said, Jesus and Simon Peter got up and took a walk along the side of the shore. And he said, now, if you see that, you tell me. Well, The one that's writing is the one that refers to himself as the one that the Lord loved. And he says, Peter looks over his shoulder, turns and looks around and sees the writer following them. You can't follow a fellow while he's sitting down, amen? He'll have to be moving along for you to to write about the fellow turning around over his shoulder and watching you follow. So the Lord Jesus, the gentleman that he is, has a way of humbling me without humiliating me. And so he takes him and pulls him away. And they start walking. And he says, i got a question for you, Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, lest someone go away as someone did the other evening, I said a lot of things he could have asked him. He could have said, will you promise never get in the wrong crowd? 
You promise never, ever, ever deny me again. Simon, i got a set of rules here. Will you promise to sign this big set of rules tonight and pledge you'll, you'll never run with that wrong crowd? And someone went away and misrepresented me and said, Brother Hurts, for loose living and no standards and all of that. No, he wasn't listening to me. You see, if, if this ingredient's in my life, it'll take care of a lot of these other things that I'm suggesting. You see, Jesus had more insight than most of us have. Jesus could go past symptoms and he could go to the source of a problem and he knows that if this one ingredient's here, he doesn't have to preach to him about the worldly crowd and an uncommitted life. He knows if we love him, these other things is the fruit of the root of love. And so he says to him, do you love me? Getting ready to use him. Getting ready to make him his spokesman. Getting ready to let him preach that powerful sermon on the day of Pentecost. Put his power upon him. Getting ready to let him be the, be the encourager and the leader again and write two books of the Bible. But the first thing he did, he came to this basic ingredient of his life and said, I want to know something. Do you love me? And I want to put it in a little outline for him tonight. The three ingredients is before us this evening. And the first thing that I, I see him doing is this. He concentrated on his love. Or you may want to phrase it like this. He challenged his love. Now that's basic. That's number one. You can be so talented tonight and highly gifted tonight. And you can live tonight uh, just giving yourself to Him. And, and if, if it's not motivated by love, the Bible says it's just tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. Our Lord, He talked to, to a church while well, that church at Ephesus. I tell you, wonderful things He said about them. That wasn't the evaluation of the pastor when He talked about their works and their labor and their purity and their stand. I mean, that was the Lord evaluating that church. But then he stops and it's shocking. He said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. And if you don't recover that which you have left, he said, listen, I'll remove the candlestick. You won't be a light for me anymore. Are you listening? If we lose that ingredient. Now let me throw you a curve. I'm a fundamentalist and I'm not ashamed of that. But you can be as, as straight, as orthodox, and as fundamental as you can be. And yet, you can be as ineffective. And you tonight, you, we, we, we could have, quote, end quote, we could have works, but not be approving to God. where He could smile upon it. And He says, listen, He said to a church, working church, laboring church, orthodox church, He said, you have left your first love. He said, remember, Oh, tonight, I preach a sermon on some things the Lord tells us we ought to remember. And, it, and as you bring them into focus, indeed, they grip your heart. And that's one of them that the Lord said, remember. Can you recall a time when there was more love than there is tonight? I said that the other evening. A person said, Brother Hurt, is there a way that you can really gauge your love? I mean, scripturally, without... Just saying verbally with words, we love him. You see, this same writer is going to write uh, some epistles later. We call them First John, Second John, and Third John. I spoke with a fellow not long ago, and a British fellow, and he called them One John, Two John, and Three John. Well, if you want to call them First, Second, Third, or One, Two, and Three, but it's the ones this same writer gave us. And you know what the First John? You know what One John's about? It's a book of reality. In contrast, he says, if we say 
Oh, we have a habit of saying, but not backing up our speech with our living. He says, if we say this, and then we're living otherwise, John gets right to the point. John says, wait a minute, you're not real. You're not speaking the truth. If I'm saying one thing verbally with words, but my life is not backing it up, I'm deceiving myself. And that's the worst form of deception is self-deception. And so John, well, sure, the Bible tells us how we can know whether or not we love him with the kind of love that he requires before he uses him. John will tell us this, when we love him that begat, that's the one that gave us birth. We love those that's begotten of him. He says, when I love him, I love his children. When I pastored, when I, when I would have to counsel with people that was on the outs with each other, and they was, they was in, not that brotherly love, not that kindness, not that preferring one another, but that backbiting or slandering, or as I said last night, maybe some spider ill will. You know what I always found? Either one of them or both of them was wrong this way. When I'm wrong toward the father, it won't be long. I'll be wrong toward the children. I can't be wrong toward the children and right with the Father. Oh, there's a lot of ways to gauge our love. He gives us an entire chapter. We call it the love chapter. And there, that entire chapter brings into focus characteristics of a person that's loving God. There's kindness about that person, long-suffering about that person, unselfishness about that person. He just names a whole lot of things. man said this in my presence some time ago, and it really gripped me. He said, you know, gauging or evaluating, testing our love, however you want to, have, you want to express it. He said, even on the human level, when you love someone, truly love someone, you find yourself loving what that person you love, you find yourself loving what they love. You say, is that scriptural? I believe I could back that up. Here's the shepherd talking to one that he's going to send out as an under-shepherd under him. Isn't it interesting? Before he sends him out there to take care of his sheep, he, he three times says, he asks the question, do you love me? Then, then when he would respond, his response would be, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Isn't it interesting? He never asked him one time, do you love sheep? He didn't ask him that. He didn't say, now Simon, I've got to know this. Before I send you out there, my representative as an under-shepherd, i got to know, do you love sheep? He didn't ask that. He knew that if he loves the shepherd, he'll love what the shepherd loves. I've watched that. I've watched God's under-shepherds run over this country. Oh, when they've got his heart, when they love him, you sense that being expressed when you hear them talk, when you hear them pray, when you hear them speak of their flock. You feel his heart. When, when that's not there, then you don't feel that kindness and, and that sense of appreciation and even grief and tears when the flock is failing. And so it's, it's coming back this way. Before he can use any of us in his service for his glory, he says, I've got to know. I've got to concentrate on your love. I want to challenge your love. I've got to know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, Teacher tonight, when you love that one, who is the shepherd over that little flock that you stand before? 
when that one's love is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost that indwells you and wants to fill you, oh, it'll be natural. It'll be normal to stand there and weep over them. Sometimes you may have to, you may have to stand and even stand with some boldness and be corrective. But even when you're doing it, you're not doing it in a sense that, that you're, you feel glad to do it. You do it with grief in your heart because of the love of the shepherd for that little group of his flock that you're speaking to. He said, do you love me? Simon, lovest thou me? Do you love me? Simon Peter, finally, the third time, he, he can't appeal to his past performance. He hadn't been behaving like he loved him. You couldn't have looked at Simon and, 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 and felt like he loved him, but he did. He just hadn't learned how weak he was in the flesh. He couldn't appeal to those uh, fellow servants around him. They'd have probably said, he didn't act like he loved you. And so the Lord, just, Simon just appeals to the Lord's omniscience. He just simply, simply says, you know all things, Lord. You know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Preacher was telling the story. He said, I was in a home. He said, I guess it's probably the most expensive house that I've was ever in in my life. He said, I was in the meeting. My second time there, my second time in that home. He said, the folks are very committed Christian. Extremely wealthy couple in that big church. He said, we were scheduled to go in their home for a meal in the middle of the afternoon. And the preacher called and there's some emergency took him away to the hospital or someplace. And this evangelist said, the pastor called and he said, would, would you mind going on? He's uh, chairman of our deacons. He's a committed brother. They want you there. I want you to go even though I can't go with you. The preacher said he went. He said uh, they were waiting on the meal. He described the surroundings of that uh, lavish place. He said in the parking lot was a couple of the most expensive automobiles you could buy in this country. He, or rather in the driveway. And then he said uh, motor home there on the most expensive park there. He's a Fisherman, one of the most expensive bass boats you could buy was there. Just everywhere you look, just an expression of luxury, but yet committed Christians. And he said, we were waiting on the final touches of the meal. And he said, uh, seated there in the living room. And he said, their dog, just a, he described him, a little old dog just went past. And he said, uh, he's over here where I can see him, but the businessman, he can't see where he went. And he said, I didn't want to just appear to be staring at their dog. And, uh, but he said, I couldn't get my eyes off him. I'd look over at him. Then the, the fellow noticed that I was just, you know, uh, almost staring at his dog. And he, he said, I, I commented. I said, well, I'm just looking at reserving your dog here. He said, uh, yes, that's, and he called his name. And he said, I asked him, is he pedigree? Does he have papers? Is he a registered dog? <laughs> the fellow said, no, no, that dog's not pedigree. And he said, that's the reason he got my attention. I knew that he wasn't an expensive dog. And he said, he looked so out of place. Everything else is an expression of luxury. And here's this dog, looks like Heinz 57 variety. He just, a, he just an alley dog. Just a mutt. Little old nubbin head dog, he said. And he said, man, he looked as, and the preacher, in his humorous, unique way of expressing it, he said, he, he looked as out of place as I felt in there. And he said, you know, I asked him, is he registered, uh, you know, pedigreed? What I'm saying is he an expensive dog. And the fellow said, oh, he's just a mutt. And he said, preacher, there's a story behind this dog. 
our boy Jimmy, some months ago, said we pulled off of the, and he said the house set way back off of the road in a wooded area there. And he said we pulled off of the highway out there and I stopped to get to check the mailbox and, and, and uh, Jimmy saw this dog in the woods beside of the drive. And by the time I got back to the car, he'd gotten over there, had that thing up in his arms, right in his face. He said, scroungest looking dog I ever saw in my life. Looked like he had AIDS and mange and everything else. He said, you never saw such a dog. And he said, I just screamed at Jimmy, throw that thing down. No, tell him what, you'll catch my dog. But Daddy, look, he likes me. And Daddy, look how skinny he is. Let me feed him, Daddy, one time. Just feed him, and I'll bring him back out here. He said, all right, you can feed that dog, but you're going to get him back out here and put him in this woods where you got him. He said, Jimmy fed that dog, came in the house and said, Daddy, Daddy, come here and look in the garage. He ate so much now, he's tired, and he's, he's, he's asleep, he's rested. Let me keep him tonight. And I will do something with him tomorrow. And he said, tomorrow, he talked me in, let me keep him a few more days. And he said, preacher. And the preacher said, the deacon businessman's voice took on some emotion. He said, one day Jimmy was playing with his friend. Ball got away from him and he darted out in the highway and didn't see a speeding car. And the car killed Jimmy. He said, that's one of the loneliest, darkest days of our lives. We pulled back in this big old empty house. Got out of the car and came around to assist my wife. And as we started up to walk, this time, when the dog met us looking for Jimmy, he said, this time I picked him up. He said, Preacher, you couldn't believe how much a little boy could love a little old dog like that. And how much that little old dog loved our Jimmy. He said, I repeat, this time I picked him up. And I said in the presence of my wife, I said to that dog, you've got a home here as long as you live. Said, preacher, we love that little old dog, not because he's so expensive. We love him because somebody we love loved him with all of his heart. After that, I was reading where it says, Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. I meet some people profess to love Jesus, but they... Oh, they don't treat his church that way. You couldn't convince me you love Jesus and you abuse his church. You never convince. You may say you love him. John says it's possible for us to say but not do. I mean, I know people, they say they love his church, his body. I'm talking about the local expression of his church, his body. And yet they're unfaithful to it. They don't tithe to it. They won't give to it. They're critical of it. You know where the problem is? The problem's this way. Because when you and I love Him, it's natural to love that which He loves. Well, when I first got saved, I won't brag about my past. I said of the night, never been to Sunday school in my life. 25-year-old, that's nothing to brag about, but I wasn't raised in church. Didn't want to have a thing to do with church people. I didn't want them around me. And uh, got saved, and got saved on a Monday night, went to church on Wednesday. And the only one I knew was my brother. Him some of the sweetest people I was ever around. I told my wife I got home, I said, Chuck Hems, everybody over there. <laughs> of course, that wasn't many that night in that little, little church on Wednesday night. But I said, they're so friendly and so nice. Oh, I tell you, there was, you know, you know, that's one of the birthmarks of the believer. You can tell you've passed from death unto life because you love the brethren, the family of God. And when you love Him, well, he said, do you love me? That's the first thing. I just mentioned the other two and you got the message. That's what God wanted me to emphasize tonight. 
He concentrated on his love. Number two, he claimed his liar. He laid claim to Simon's liar. You say, where do you see that? Look at verse 18. Our Lord says, verily, verily, truly, truly, literally, amen, amen. Really putting emphasis. He's affirming something. I say unto thee, Thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, walkest whether thou wouldest. He's letting us know he had a lot of insight about uh, the nature of Simon Peter. He knew, he knew him. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whether thou wouldest not. And then John gives us the commentary on that verse, verse 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Jesus is claiming his life, even unto death. You see, he's got a right to get glory from us. I mean, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. And whatsoever we do, we're to glorify him. It's not the issue whether we live or die. The issue is not whether we're an evangelist or a pastor or a missionary. That's his business. Our responsibility is to take our hands off of our life and say, Thy will be done. I don't know anyone that's consistently used of God if they have to pick their positions where they'll serve. They won't do this, but they will do that. They wouldn't go there, but they will go here. Oh, I tell you, a person like that is not even usable material. Till we can come to that place as our Lord prayed in the garden a little while before going to the cross for us. He said, not my will, but thine be done. Listen to me carefully. In the will of God, I often say this, it's the happiest place on earth, it's the safest place on earth, and it's the most useful place on earth is the will of God for you and me. But it's not always easy. It may not always put you in a pleasant position. It may put you on the backside of the desert, amen? But I tell you, if it's God's will, there is a contentment, there is a joy, there's a sense of fulfillment. Oh, listen to me tonight. I had a man to call me today, and he asked about a weekend. And I said, yeah, I have to have that weekend. It's one of the holiday weekends in fall. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm coming in on a Thursday. I'm going to take off. He said, would you, would you speak on a Friday night and speak for us on Sunday in the church? He said, and he told me about a group. He said, I'm hosting a banquet for a certain group. I believe he said covered about four states in that area of their workers. And he said, uh, uh, Brother Hurt, God has put you on my heart to be, be the speaker for that uh, group of workers. Would you come? And I said, it'll be an honor. And so he called me this morning and we jotted those dates down and then I'm to stay with him on the Labor Day weekend that Sunday in his church. And immediately after he talked to me, he said, now I'll pray with you and, and the Lord will, the Lord will give you what, uh, what we need as a sense of workers in that ministry. And he said, the director of that ministry surrendered uh, to full-time service under your ministry. And I said, yes, I remember that. Oh, 18 years ago in Kokomo, Indiana area. And I said, I'm aware of that. He calls me occasionally and lets me know in that meeting he surrendered to his life, committed his life, and God is using him now as the director of that ministry in about a four or five state connection there. And anyway, I say, uh, I'm saying that to say this. The Lord brought to my attention a text even this afternoon just thinking along that line as I was jotting those things. And I got a sermon that I entitled over there where the Lord took that lad's loaves and so blessed that little lad's lunch that it touched a multitude of people. And I give credit to a missionary. Years ago, I read in one of his books concerning that lad's loaves in the Lord's hands. 
And he said this, using him as an example to teach us. He said, what I yield, the Lord takes. What the Lord takes, he breaks. What he breaks, he blesses. What he blesses, he uses. You know, some of us are saying, Lord, use me, and we still hold on to our lunch. <laughs> he, he, he don't even have the lunch. He didn't take, he didn't use the lunch till he possessed it. But he didn't take it till it was freely given to him. I like Andrew. When I was a pastor, I used to say, if Andrew would have showed up, I'd have put him over junior church. He had a way with little lads. Amen. He said, there's a lad here, and he'd already looked in his lunch bucket. He knew what was in there. Now you imagine if he'd have said, there's a lad here and got a lunch, and I got my foot on his neck, if I can take it away from him, we'll use it. The Lord would have said, you leave that boy alone. That boy gave it to him. A lot of us say, we say, Lord, use us, but we're still in the driver's seat. We still, I mean, we, we have reservations about what we would do and we would not do. Oh, take your hands off of your life tonight. Say, thy will is my will, period. Give him a blank sheet of paper as it were. Put your name, sign it, and say, fill it in, Lord. And I tell you, you'll have a life of usefulness. He claimed his life. He, con he concentrated on his love. And third and final, he commanded his loyalty. Twice he's, he'll say this to him. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now you see, after Peter got his instructions, he gets his eyes off of Jesus and puts his eyes on a fellow man. And that's about to make him unusable. And he said, in essence, and I paraphrase, he said, well, wait a minute, Lord, what about this fellow? He hadn't heard Jesus tell John what he's supposed to do. Would you let me paraphrase Jesus' response to him? Jesus said, in essence, that's none of your business what this fellow's going to do. You follow me. I meet a lot of people. They're not used. But you know what the problem is? They got their eyes on other people. Somebody is not doing what they think they should do. Or somebody else is doing something they don't think they ought to be doing. I mean, I meet this all over the country. And when you, and I'm around somebody like that, the brother down the street, he's not taking a good enough stand. And there's somebody over here not doing, and here I am more committed than any of those. And I wonder why God's blessing them and won't bless me. And I'm not being ugly. But you know what the problem is? Not being loyal in their own heart and committed and true to Jesus. And trying to straighten everybody else out. Not being aware as our Lord will say in His Word, a servant stands or falls to his own master. Oh, listen to me. I said to someone today, young preacher, come on the midweek service. And we'd have our faithful few. And I'd get upset because the rest of them wasn't there. And just beat that faithful few half to death. <laughs> Skin them good. Oh, you know, I'm just, I mean, lose my sanctification and get mad. The Lord said to me one day, isn't it a pity? Crowd that needs them sermons don't ever get them. <laughs> Why don't you put that on that Sunday morning crowd and feed these faithful few on the Wednesday night? I said, Lord, I believe you, I believe you've got my attention, amen. Oh, but you see, sometimes we're not careful. We know what he's told us to do, but we just, we get our eyes on somebody else. We're not careful. And let me say this, this may shock you, and I don't think it will, 
you know, a church that's realistic and faces the basic fact. But you watch any servant very long and you'll find something that'll disappoint you. We ought to work at being the best we can be. But that's why the scripture teaches us to looking unto him. Looking unto him. Now, I don't have my glasses on. I can't tell if you're with me. Somebody say something to me. Amen. 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 Would you let him tonight concentrate on your love? Would you let him claim your life tonight? You're bought with a price. You, you're not your own. You belong to him. Would you just take your hands off and say, live or die, sick or well, rejected, recepted? That's not even the issue, Lord. You're a sovereign Lord, and I'm your servant. Oh, it sets you free. Give you a sense of purpose. Pillow your head at night and, and say, good night, Lord, and wake up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Don't miss me when I say this. Somebody said the other day, Paul Wilbur, he's out on the road and gone. Somebody. <laughs> I said, don't feel sorry for me. I appreciate your prayers, but oh no, no. I tell you now, I, if I suggested I didn't miss my family, I do. And I go home every, almost every week. I don't go like I used to 20 years ago and stay three weeks at a time. The Lord is, the Lord permits me to be at home at least one day and two days a lot of time every week. And if I don't go home, my wife will fly where I'm at on the weekend if I'm going to stay gone. So I, I see my family, at least part of them, every week. But you know what? I don't say this boastfully. I say this if I can say it in the right attitude. You're looking at the person tonight. And I know as well as I know I'm breathing, I'm in God's will. And there's a freedom and a joy and a contentment in His will. Could you tonight from your heart say, Lord, use me? Oh, you ought to want God to take and put His hand on you and use you, reach through you, and reach your family, your friends, your loved ones, those that God brings across your path. But I believe these basic truths will be there. They'll be, He wants to challenge your love, concentrate on your love, claim your life, and then He'll command your loyalty. He requires you and me to be true and faithful and loyal to Him. He said, you follow me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You've been easy to speak to. God bless you. I've said that about every service. I've never spoken in this pulpit without sensing the, the freedom, the anointing, the presence of the Spirit of God. And I say that not to try to flatter you. I say that when I'm away from you. I love your dear preacher. First time I ever met your pastor, we preached together in a former pastorate where I'd been. Brother Dave Love, he was our youth director. He's a pastor up in Virginia now. Godly young man. Some of you know Dave and Kim. Brother Trivet came. Dave asked us to have part in his ordination. Both of us spoke, as well as Brother Goolsby being there. I said to my wife when we left that day, I made a comment. She did too. My wife was very perceptive when she senses God's hands on someone. My wife said, and she was kind. I won't say it to embarrass anyone, but she said, Brother Trivet's message really spoke to my heart, said God's touches on him. I appreciate you, preacher, ever since since the day I met him. I appreciate what God's doing through this ministry and for this people for you here. God's presence is here in a sweet way. I say that to commend you and also say this. Maybe I need not say it, but let me just say it. Sometimes when you're in a fellowship, you're with a, a people where God constantly gives you a sense of his presence. It's rather, if you're not careful, it's easy to begin to take for granted. Getting used to it. 
You travel some places where you don't have the freedom of the Spirit. And I tell you, you want to come bow down low before God and say, Lord, we bless you for meeting with us. So don't take for granted what God's doing in your midst here. And say to him, Lord, from my heart, I want to rededicate my life. You see, I'm aware because I know my own heart and I have a Bible that tells the truth on all of us. That's what revival is all about. Revival doesn't have anything to do with lost people. Revival has to do with the work that God does in the hearts of us, his people. Evangelism is a work the church does for God, but revival is a work God does for the church. And when he does a work for us called revival, then he enables us to do a work for him called evangelism. Sometimes we confuse the two. They're not the same. When real revival has come, loving him, living for him, loyal to him then, oh, it's natural then, that branch in touch with a vine, part of the fruit in the Bible. The fruit is, a number of things mentioned as fruit, but part of the fruit is a fruit of soul winning. And uh, you'll find people bringing people to Christ after they've had a revival. So my burden is revival. That God might do that work as only He can do for us, the church, so we can do a work for Him in evangelism, spreading the gospel, telling the story. Tonight I've preached what He told me to. My part will be over after a verse. If you're here without Christ tonight, God bless you. You're so welcome if you're a visitor. I tell you, God loves you. Jesus died in your place and paid your debt. You have a desire in your heart tonight. There's a tug in your heart to know Him. That's the wound of the Holy Spirit of God. He's drawing. He's calling. He's convicting. You answer that call. I tell you, it's not complicated and hard and difficult to get saved. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You feel that tug at your heart, that desire, as faint as it may be, if you've got a desire to know you, to know that you're saved, God's doing that. You've been saved but away from God. Don't, don't, you'll be in worse condition when you leave here tonight than you were when you came. You'll be more responsible because God's in this room tonight. Spirit of God is using His Word. He's used the message in music. He's used the spoken Word. In the atmosphere is the, is the presence of the Spirit of God tonight. And if you're away from God, I tell you tonight, He's talking to your heart. And you can't be neutral. You can't straddle the fence. His word saying, you're either gathering with me or you're scattering abroad. You can't ignore. Now the responsibility to be heavy, heavy. See, we walk in the light as he's the light. Interest of thy word giveth light. That's how his light comes to us, through the word. And when God's word speaks to us and you, you reject it or you just don't act on it, you, you cut part of your fellowship off right then. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we fellowship one with another. The fellowship becomes intensified and there's a closeness. There's a sweetness. There's a reality greater if we just walk in the light. So I've done what he told me to do. My part's finished. Brother Ken will be coming. Even on the first verse, I'm going to ask him to come. I've just come kindly with a Bible conference kind of message. I, I share this. Much of my ministry is in Bible conference ministry. I share this message often in that type of ministry. God tonight just wanted me to speak to our hearts from his word. Lord, seal these truths. Make it easy for us to do what you're telling us to do now, please. Spirit of God, just talk to us. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your family. We know tonight that we love you because you first loved us. Paul will tell us that the love of Christ constrains him. 
moves him, motivates him, keeps him going. And our Father, we know tonight that we would not love thee had not you loved us first. Help us not take for granted how much you care for us. I pray that you'll help us tonight just commit ourselves to you. Be Lord of our lives. And then use us for your own honor and glory. Amen. Stand with us, please, all over the building. While we stand together, the pastor's here. If you want to talk to God, my part's over. If you want to talk to God, just slip out and meet us right here in the front. Some are already praying. Don't miss God tonight. While we wait, you come.